everyone who ever lived here falls victim to some tragedy. Like her daughter a year ago. My daughter was my whole life. To hear her voice again, I would give all I have. If someone wants to be heard, we are here. Admit that you are up against something bigger than you. Tonight, we are all afraid. We cannot hide from our ghosts. Whether they are real or not. Welcome to the Strange Harbors Podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by... Amir Ture. And Derek Wong. So tonight we are discussing director Kenneth Branagh's latest adaptation of an Agatha Christie novel, A Haunting in Venice. This movie follows 2017's Murder on the Orient Express and last year's Death on the Nile kind of slim pickings we didn't really have too many choices for movies to talk about if that's this any week. <laughs> indication of what jeff thinks <laughs> i was also a little confused about the movie we were watching i could swear this was the disney haunted mansion movie and i was not looking forward to it are you serious or are you joking <laughs> so i was pleasantly surprised that this was actually a haunting in venice <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, phew, this is the Agatha Christie and not the Disney movie. Nice. Wait, you really thought we were going to talk about the Haunted Mansion movie? <laughs> no. But, oh, okay. <laughs> but I definitely remember seeing the Haunted Mansion uh, ads, and I think I did conflate the two movies in my head mm. for a while. I like went to this one. I was like, wait, which one is this? I was like, oh, okay. It's the Agatha Christie one. Got it. Okay. The Hercule Poirot. Yeah. I was so surprised that Branagh made a third one of these because i could have sworn the first two were giant flops both critically and financially but i'm also kind of shocked to find out that neither of those things are true orient express actually made a huge 350 on a 55 million budget oh right wow death on the nile was like a little more modest doing around 130 on a hundred and both of them have like 60 percent on rotten tomatoes they seem to get, like, these star-studded casts, too, right? Because the first one had, like, Penelope Cruz, Tom Bateman, Willem Dafoe, Judy Dench is in it, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp was in that movie? This is before his defenestration from Hollywood, or... Michelle Pfeiffer and Daisy Ridley's in the first one? I know, right? That's Isn't that crazy? Wild, dude. Her only non-Star Wars role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's not true, but it feels like it. No, no, I get it. Oh, Army Hammer pre-cannibalism revelation? Or no, post. This is 2022. Death on the Nile yeah. was just last year. All right. So that one starred a cannibal. I think the first two were victims of circumstance and association because 
the first one had just come out when the Johnny Depp abuse allegations came out. And then the second one was after Gal Gadot's stock has dropped from Wonder Woman 1984. And then pretty soon after her dumb Imagine video came out during the pandemic. You guys remember that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so everyone was making fun of her for that. Army Hammer is also in the second one with his own cheating slash cannibalism scandal that got him, as Amir, you said, defenestrated from Hollywood. <laughs> so I think the first two are kind of overhated. I think 60% of critics liking it is a little generous. I still think they're bad movies. They're pretty dull and boring, but they're not catastrophes, I don't think. I know, Derek, you've seen the first two, which are both streaming on Hulu right now. Amir, you haven't seen the first two, right? No, I haven't seen either. I'm not a Hercule Poirot fan. I'm not a Agatha Christie fan, particularly. Me neither. So I definitely gave the first two a miss. <laughs> okay. Like, like, didn't even consider seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember when the first one came out, I was like, oh, this is kind of a stacked cast. It looked interesting enough. Yeah, very stacked casts, for sure. So I was like, okay, I'll give this a shot. And I ultimately was like, this is okay, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, but I will say that what I do like about this series is how much I think Kenneth Branagh likes to play this character. He does like to play this yeah, character. Yeah, he seems like he's having a blast, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. I guess it is all in the first two movies. I don't know. There is something fun about watching him play this role. It kind of reminds me a lot of Daniel Craig playing the Benoit Blanc character, right? And which mm -hmm. is, you know, heavily probably based on this Hercule Perot character, right? Like someone who's a investigator who's kind of sees the solutions before everybody else and mm -hmm. you know has a heavy accent and and it's really interesting to see these two movies one being based on a very famous author and a very famous series of books and the other being you know new invention from ryan johnson right yeah it's, it's been really interesting watching these two movies side by side i don't think he's near as good as daniel craig but he is having fun That's i all. think he's having fun <laughs> And I think there's a charisma to that. And if anything, I've watched this one and I've watched the last one more because the trend doesn't get bucked, right? The second one kind of has a stack cast who has a great cast yeah. and him back as Hercule Perot. And same thing. I think after watching the second one, I thought it was just okay. I think I like the first one more than the second one. I think the second one suffers from some not great actors and slash mm -hmm. great acting in that movie. And it did have some weird circumstances because I remember that one came out and it was still kind of like in the middle of the pandemic and people were not going back to theaters yet. And mm -hmm. it had that going against it, too. I think both these previous two movies are just OK. <laughs> so are you guys Kenneth Branagh fans? <laughs> no. <laughs> Is that as an actor, as a director or both? OK, as an actor, I think. He likes to have fun. He's doing all these bit roles. He likes to play villains. You know, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, Tenet. He was an Oppenheimer. He was an Oppenheimer. He was great in Oppenheimer, by the way. Yeah. I really liked him in Oppenheimer. Dunkirk. As a director, I am sorry. He is firmly in his flop era. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the last at least 10 movies he's made are all... Not great. A Haunting in Venice, not included, because we haven't talked about that one yet. We're talking about that one in this episode. But mm -hmm. So I think this means you're not a Belfast fan then, right? No, Belfast is awful. It's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised. I was just looking into him a little bit, and he has quite the high number of Academy Award nominations. 
and in multiple categories, right? Mm-hmm. That's director, though, right? I don't think he has any actor nominations, right? Yeah, but it's all his directing. And yeah, Belfast is the most like recent good one, I guess, quote unquote. I don't know. Yeah. Acknowledged by the Academy anyway. But Cinderella in 2015 also got a nom for something. And then before that, it's all his Shakespeare stuff, basically. Okay, I will say his Cinderella is good. I do like his Cinderella. It's probably the best Disney remake. I feel like that's the first one, right? Maybe. It's 2015? You think the 2015 is the first one? Is it not Alice in Wonderland? Uh, does that count, really? I guess that kind of counts. It Alice in Wonderland. Counts. Cinderella feels like it's the first of that generation of Disney remakes. And yeah. it has the most flavor with taking liberties in the story and then the costume design. They really put a lot of effort into it, and it looks great. I think that's actually probably the best. But I've seen a lot of his Shakespeare stuff. His Shakespeare stuff is pretty good. I was going to say, have you seen his Hamlet? Yeah, I've seen his Hamlet. Yeah. I've seen his Much Ado About Nothing, which is probably like the definitive movie version of that story. His Henry V is really good. His first directorial Oh, yeah, his Much Ado About Nothing is the Denzel Washington one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, I think I lied a little bit earlier because no, he was nominated for Best Actor in Henry V and Best Supporting for My Week with Marilyn in uh, mm. 2011. So he does have some actor noms and he I guess is known for having nominations in seven different categories. Oh, really? He's been nominated for eight Academy Awards in seven different categories. Best Director and Best Actor for Henry V, Best Live Action Short Film for Swan Song in 92, Adaptation of a Chekhov Play, mm-hmm. Best Adapted Screenplay for Hamlet, Best Supporting Actor for My Week with Marilyn, and then Belfast, Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay. Wow. So, a man of many talents, I suppose. Yeah, that's impressive. Like, his recent All Is True Shakespeare movie is quite bad. I didn't really like that either. His Artemis Fowl is god-awful. Dumped to Disney+, Plus. nobody saw that. Everyone panned it. Everyone hated it. I couldn't even finish it. It was so bad. Wow. It's awful. But I did rewatch Thor recently. <laughs> wow which he also directed and i feel like when thor came out and the years after it people thought you know the first thor is yeah just kind of mid yeah the first thor is pretty good actually going back and watching it after a lot of these recent ones have been like so muddy and ugly looking bad yeah this thing looks fucking great it has so much of, like, Brannock's personality in it and, you know, bringing, like, his Shakespearean flavor into Marvel Cosmic, right? And I think it really works here. It looks great. Like, the Marvel movies don't look like this anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first Thor, I think, like, the fish out of water stuff, I remember being pretty good. And uh-huh. and we got a bit of Loki in that one, right? So Yeah. That's always good. He's the main villain, right? So then, uh, I guess, what do we think of this one, guys? Is he breaking his streak? I think so. He's kind of cooking with gas in this one. Oh, wow. Okay. I liked this one. Okay. I was like, oh, they got a new cinematographer and everything. This thing looks great. Nope, same guy. So I don't know what's going on (laughs) with this movie's visuals. It's still shot by uh, Harris Zambralukas. I mean, he also shot... Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. 
and I feel like those movies looked fine. Death on the Nile had some like really ghastly green screen with the Egypt scenery that looked horrible, but Haunting in Venice looked great. A lot of stuff I liked in this, in the filmmaking, and the atmosphere in this I really liked. Just a huge departure from the first two that were like so dull and boring to me that I think this one did a way better job of, you know, capturing that atmosphere. It's not a scary movie. Like, for a movie called A Haunting in Venice, I don't think it's very scary. I don't know. What did you guys think? This was okay. Um, it, was <laughs> this like was an, okay. it was an okay time at the movie. It's like, yeah. I spent, like, I don't know, 100 minutes or whatever, 90 minutes, 100 minutes in the movie, and it was like, okay, that was fine. I think I was kind of cooling on it about halfway through, and I think the end brought me back. I think it did nail that feeling of finishing a detective story where it all comes together at the end mm-hmm. and he figures it all out at the end and it all clicks into place. I did think that was done well. And so that kind of saved it for me. Like the end I thought worked, you know, the solution of the main mystery and all the little ancillary stuff that he does. I thought that all worked. And as you said, I think he's having fun. I think it looks pretty good. And I pretty much liked the performances actually. Yeah, they're pretty good. Like, I think everyone was pretty good. No one was, like, awful or embarrassing. (laughs) Some people you like to see in here. It was okay. Like, I probably wouldn't have gone to see it, uh, you know, if we weren't doing it. And I don't know that I'm, like, running out to recommend it. But it's fine. It's a movie in the movie theaters. Okay, if you're a, you know, uh, an Agatha Christie fan, okay, yeah, like, definitely, like, go see it. Or, like, you're just like, yeah, hey, I'm going to the movies. Is that movie all right? Like, yeah, it is all right. But I, I wouldn't go much farther than that. Mm-hmm. And not because of any specific criticisms about it. Even though I think it was pretty well executed, it's just probably just not my cup of tea. Just like the first two, I think it's very old-fashioned. It's not reinventing the wheel for, like, the mystery movies at all, I don't think. Yeah. But what about you, Derek? What would you think? I'm with uh, Amir on this one and how I said the other ones were just okay. This one was... Just okay. Not any better? No, I don't think so. Really interesting. I don't see what you see, Jeff. (laughs) That's so funny, because that makes me think the first two are better than I've been led to believe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, don't take it that way, Amir. I mean, I... Yeah, I mean, I guess, like you're saying, you did say it's mid. This one is the cast is not as good. I don't know who put this cast together, but I think Michelle Yeoh is just not... Uh, right for her role. I think Jamie Dornan is just god-awfully wasted in this movie. I don't feel like anyone was really having fun, even Kenneth Branagh. I don't know. This is actually my least favorite when it comes to like watching the Hercule Poirot character. I don't disagree with that. What about Tina Fey? You didn't think she was having fun? Tina Fey's having fun. She I think is. Tina Fey's having fun. Yeah, yeah. She has a fun little role. And then I kind of disagree with you, Amir, on the ending. The ending is, in my mind, the weakest out of the three. Like, the whole Hercule Perot figuring it out and, like, revealing it to everybody. I thought that was kind of a dud. And it might not be Kenneth Branagh's fault, you know, or the script's fault. Maybe it's the source material. Maybe the source material is a little clunky in that way, too. I don't know. I've never read the book. It's a loose enough adaptation that you don't have to give them that credit. Yeah. Looking back, at least I kind of enjoyed the journey that I was on when I watched Murder on the Orient Express and even Death on the Nile. I know that one has a lot of issues, but I don't know. Looking back, something like Murder just seems so much more inventive, right, compared to something like this. This one seems very by the numbers, and I don't know. Maybe I was biased because of that i don't disagree 
I think the mystery in Haunting in Venice is likely the driest and least interesting. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like Poirot putting things together just for another mom can't let go of her daughter motive. Kind of boring. And it's not quite as fun as him piecing together, you know, the whodunit in the first and second ones, mm-hmm. which I think are more interesting. Yeah. But I think the journey in the first two from the opening to the end when everyone figures everything out is quite dull and just not a very fun experience. Mm. And I think the filmmaking has a lot to do with it. I think the first two are just very uninspired. And, you know, I said this about all three of them, old fashioned, but at least in the third one, he's actually trying new things with establishing the atmosphere and moving the camera and using different techniques to build suspense. You know, I liked a lot of the performances here. I don't know if you can actually waste Jamie Dornan because I don't think I've (laughs) ever been impressed by him. (laughs) But I think this is just another Jamie Dornan performance. But I actually liked Michelle Yeoh in the limited screen time she had. Yeah, me too. She fucking swung for the fences for like the 10 minutes she was on screen for and then, you know, chucked out. (laughs) Yeah. Tina Fey having fun. I do agree that the mystery is weak in this. Okay. That's not what I liked about the movie anyway, so. Well, we've given our initial thoughts. I think maybe, do we really need to give a synopsis? That's what we're here for, man. It's a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ariadne Oliver goes to find her old friend, Hercule Poirot the famous detective in Venice, and to tempt him out of retirement with one last mystery, she invites him to a Halloween party in order to try to get him to unmask a medium played by Michelle Yeoh and figure out why she's a fraud. That's kind of where we start. It becomes a sort of locked murder mystery when all these people come to this seance held by the owner of the house, Rowena Drake, who's trying to contact the spirit of her dead daughter, who's presumed to have committed suicide by jumping off a balcony in the house into the Venice canals. Also invited to the seance are uh, the daughter's ex-fiance, Hercule Perot, Ariadne Oliver, Hercule Perot's bodyguard and ex-cop, Dr. Leslie Ferrier, the family doctor who treated the young lady before her demise, Dr. Ferrier's son, Leopold, and then uh, the medium herself, Joyce Reynolds, played by Michelle Yeoh, and her assistants. And then I think that probably everybody is just about, you know, 10 or 11 people yeah. in the cast. And so after the seance, first Joyce Reynolds ends up murdered mysteriously. And then after that, the doctor ends up murdered, both in ways that seem to imply that there's something supernatural going on. And this is a, mm-hmm. supposedly a haunted house that's been haunted by the spirits of children who were, I don't know, murdered by nurses and doctors or had some vendetta against medical professions. So the running theme throughout the movie is, you know, is this a real haunting or can Hercule Poirot figure out a materialist explanation for these murders? And that's kind of it. Yeah. Tina Fey's Ariane Oliver, she just wants Hercule Poirot to play skeptic, right? To yes. debunk this medium that, you know, they think might be... A scammer or a grifter. What are the specific things in the movie you guys either like liked or hated? Like, what did you like about it, Because you didn't like the central mystery, right? So, like, what are some of the things you liked here? I think the mystery is just fine. I don't think it actively detracted from my enjoyment. I think it did sag towards the middle a little bit. I was like, okay, come on, let's start getting towards the end and unraveling some of the threads here. But I 
think what I liked about the movie is, you know, I keep saying this, but like the building of the atmosphere, the locked room scenario. I think the seance scene is great. I think taking a page out of maybe, I don't know, talk to me or something. It's the spinning camera, the loud ass typewriter. I really like that touch where. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. Cool I like that prop, too. Typing right. the letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the movie just looks like they put so much work into making things interesting. You have fisheye lenses, wide-angle lenses, you know, from the top of the roof, from the bottom of the floor. Fucking Dutch angles. Kenneth Branagh loves his Dutch angles. You know, if you watch Thor, you might remember that he fucking loves those canted angles, right? And there's a lot of that here. I don't know, just movies like this? Especially, like, run-of-the-mill, mass-appeal movies like this just don't look like this anymore. And I really, really enjoyed the formal aspects of this movie. (laughs) People having fun. Michelle Yeoh, I know, Derek, you didn't really like her, but I thought she was having a blast in the 10 minutes she was on screen. Really sold the possession, and then her little talk with Hercule Poirot after the seance. Her eyes are, like, bloodshot. She's got, like, tears welling in her eyes. I thought that was really good. I kind of wanted more of her in the movie. Tina Fey's having a blast. Plenty of things to like. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) sorry. You sound so convinced. I I know. (laughs) So convinced. I mean, if we're going to stick with the Tina Fey character, though, yes, I agree with you guys. I think she is having fun, and she brings more life to the movie than maybe even someone like Kenneth Branagh does this time, you know, where normally I think that's his job. Or it has been his job in like the last two movies, in my opinion. My issue with the Ariadne Oliver character is that it's kind of placed strangely in this movie in the sense that, and I think it's because having this knowledge that these stories, yes, they're one-offs, right? There is this kind of overarching longer story of like Hercule Perrault and like the world Agatha Christie builds even within her books Mm -hmm. just doing quick research understanding that the oliver character is someone that does appear throughout you know some of her mystery books right like a recurring character recurring character that does have a relationship with hercule perot and it's kind of weird placing this movie at the end of their relationship Mm -hmm. and i know amir you haven't seen the first two movies but a good example is the tom bateman oak character from the first two movies you know we meet him in the first one he's a pivotal character in the first one playing the accomplice character like the oliver character here but then spoilers sorry for a death in the nile his character dies in the second movie and Mm -hmm. like if you follow the track of this character it is a little tragic that is one of the more sincere touching moments of that movie right hercule perot's friend dies but then to go to this movie where we're just told that they have this long-standing relationship and then she is trying to use him by the end of it doesn't really mean much to me and i feel like there needed to be like one more movie in between this kind of do the same thing establish your character show that they're like really good friends they have a working relationship and then have her betray him in this one yeah i don't know i don't think they're trying to build out Poirot cinematic universe here i think they're mostly <laughs> the pcu it's just they're mostly like mostly trying to do right? standalone one-offs you know and 
I do understand there's a recurring character from the first one to the second one, and I think that's a nice little touch for the Hercule Poirot character to lose a recurring presence in both those movies. Mm -hmm. But I feel like to expect that from every one of these is probably wishing too much on this Maybe, yeah, because honestly, like, we talked a little bit about the box office, but this is not doing so hot, right? I mean, it didn't even win its weekend. I don't know if we're going to see another one of these, to be honest. What won the weekend? What won the weekend was uh, The Nun 2 in its second weekend. Oh, wow. Rough. Yeah. So, I mean, right now, this has only made $41 million worldwide. Domestically, only 18. You know, I honestly can't even see this cracking 100 million this time, right? And I do think, <laughs> like the ghost story it's trying to tell, this is kind of dead in the water now, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, they did bring the budget down, though. One shot. Yeah. From like 100 million to 60. Well, that first one made what, three something, you said? 300 yeah, something? That yeah, that was crazy. That's crazy. This one, just like maybe even breaking even, is definitely not going to be good enough for. I really don't think we're going to see another one of these. I mean, people even question, like, are we going to get a third one after the second one? It was a success, but it wasn't like a smashing hit like the first one. So mm-hmm. I think this may be kind of like the death nail. So yeah, maybe it didn't even have the space for what I was trying to say, right? Have another mini arc with one of its reoccurring characters. No big loss to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no real big loss to me either. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can't say I'm invested in the series. Uh, I only saw this one. So, yeah. What about you, Amir? Did you like anything particular about the movie? I guess I wasn't as focused on the formal aspects as Jeff was. It's more, I think uh, the performances were all okay. And I, as I said, Tina Fey and Kenneth Branagh both seem to be having fun here. And as I said, I don't know, at least for me, the mystery did kind of come together in the end. I know you guys are saying this is the weakest of them. But like that kind of, I don't know, caught my attention again, I guess. It just, mm. the middle was a little, I mean, I know it's not a long movie. The middle was a little shaggy to me. Yeah. I think that's a problem when your movie's only like 100 yeah, minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt it anyway, and I thought that the ending brought it all I back. I did too. And I, I, did too. I, I thought the ending brought it all back, right? I even liked the little touch with like Leopold actually being the blackmailer and, you know. Yeah, so um, I don't disagree with that. I think the mystery itself and like the explanation is just kind of whatever, but I'm kind of impressed that they threaded everything together, like they all did. the characters like, and the motives, and it kind of made sense. They made you know? it all make sense, and they dropped the hints that you could have at least gotten some of it, right? Like yeah. um, the supernatural aspect that's being hinted at throughout, her cold Perot is hallucinating, and everyone's like, ooh, it's actually ghosts and whatever, because, you know, everybody's superstitious. It's 1947 Venice or something, right? So everyone believes in ghosts and ghouls and goblins or whatever. Uh-huh. So, and he is actually seeing these things, and they tie that into the final uh, solution of the plot, which is that he's been poisoned with a hallucinogen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's sort of an explanation for all the little mysteries that they see throughout, yeah. which I like. They set things up and pay them off. And the setup isn't always, like, super obvious, doesn't rub it in your face, but then when they do explain it, you're like, yeah, oh yeah, okay, I could have known that. Which is good. It's, it's a mystery that's playing fair with you, right? Yeah, it's like a bunch of different conspiracies converging together, which I kind of liked. You know, you have Tina Fey's Ariane Oliver and then Hercule Poirot's bodyguard. They're in it together to actually set up Poirot to not be able to solve the mystery. So Ariane can actually write a book about how something stumped Hercule Poirot, which is kind of fun, actually. I kind of like that little twist. Mm -hmm. And then that goes together with Rowena pulling a sixth sense on her daughter, I guess, (laughs) poisoning her to drive her back into her arms instead of her ex-lover who left her and then came back 
all apologetic, but Rowena can't bear to let go of her daughter to be with this guy. So she like starts poisoning her so that she can take care of her at home and never have to let her go. Mm -hmm. And that also brings in, you know, the housekeeper who didn't know that Rowena was poisoning the daughter and she accidentally overdoses her on the poison. And then Rowena tries to cover it all up. People found out and then they get blackmailed from the poisoning and it turns out it's Leopold, the doctor's son. It's all interesting. I kind of like that it came all together. Yeah. So. The poisoning is very like Phantom Thread or something, right? Like, yeah. It's kind of cool. It's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, it's a cliche motive or whatever, but it's still kind of cool. I kind of like it. Yeah. And there's just like a lot of things that I thought end up being paid off. So I, I did like all of that stuff. The one thing I didn't like or at least I thought was weird, was why did they make the two Romani characters thieves? <laughs> I feel like that's, like, wildly racist. That might, like, not pop out if you're, like, an American or whatever, but I feel like that's touching on some fault line or something that, like, maybe we don't know about. It feels like it's wildly racist. I don't know. Maybe I'm not fully informed <laughs> about that stuff, but I was uncomfortable with it. I was like, ah. Uh. Yeah, why is the Asian the scam artist, right? No, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Seriously. If they just made them not Romani, I feel like it would – like, they don't even look particularly Romani, right? Yeah. Like, that's an English actor and – Especially the sister. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, I thought that was a weird move. Maybe that's trying to play into the periodness of it. Because, like, they are sympathetic characters uh-huh. in the end, and it's, like, what they were doing to survive. Yeah, But yeah, yeah. you could have just not made them thieves. Like, you didn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, that was the only thing that, like, jumped out at me as being, like, a little bit of a weird move. But – other than that, there's a lot of kind of fun stuff here. Like, is it the fiancé who tastes the tea or the doctor? It's the fiancé who tastes the, the honey. The fiancé. Yeah, yeah. He tastes the honey. He goes, huh, that's not wildflowers, right? Yeah. They do give you these little things where you're like, huh, okay, something's going on, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily all put it together. I certainly didn't. But they are giving you these hints. They do show you weird little things happening and ways that you can know that there's something else happening here. To kind of go off one of your guys' earlier points – I mean, the one thing I did like about, you know, Murder on the Orient Express is that by the end, you kind of learn that these characters are all like connected, right? They're all there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And this one, it's not like they're all here for a reason per se, but I do like, and you guys have kind of hinted at it, like there is this deeper connection by the end of the movie with all these characters, right? The housekeeper is one who then now takes care of the Leopold character because his dad dies in the process. But then, like, the money that he was scamming, well, he gives that money to the two, quote-unquote, thieves that are just trying to get to America, right? So, like, I like that there is this kind of more tender connection between the characters rather than, like, I, you know, Death in the Nile, I felt like was really, it felt more like these were, like, disparate Dis- Disjointed, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I did appreciate that aspect about the way the characters are formed in this particular story right yeah like i said the movie's not very scary for a film called a haunting in venice but well, it's not yeah. a horror movie no it's not it, a horror right? movie it's, I mean, it's still a, a mystery story. movie it's still a detective story and yeah i don't know if the name does it any favors because yeah. i didn't know that this was well first of all it's not like the exact name of the agatha christie story uh-huh no. so, yeah i think christie story is just called halloween right so like uh, you're haunting in halloween venice, party like, party what yeah. is this yeah. is, is it the disney haunted house movie is it like <laughs> one of these horror movies like none too you, you know what i mean like i feel like they maybe lost a little bit just for the fact that it doesn't have a name like murder in the orient express which everyone knows even if yeah. you're not an agatha christie fan you know that whereas like a haunting in venice is like i don't know what that is yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah. I didn't even really know. It's like, oh, this is the third one in a series? I can represent the, like, I don't know, the ignorant consumer here. It just wasn't at all clear to me. So, 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I if mean, that, you see Kenneth Branagh in a mustache, you you kind of like okay, this is that same movie. <laughs> Who else could it be? Yeah, he's <laughs> got a weird I'm accent. No with Perot, Perot, right? I'm not good at solving mysteries. <laughs> what do you want from me? Yeah, <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder how this would play in a vacuum if I hadn't seen the first two, which I think are so boring. Maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't think this is that great in a vacuum. Oh, you think it's itself, benefiting right? from the fact that you didn't like yeah, the first, the first two? Yeah, the first two are so bad. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, that, that could be it. I mean, like I said, oh. I didn't see the others, and I thought this one was pretty, yeah. you know, pretty just okay, pretty mid. But what I was going to say about the horror stuff is that I did think some of the spooky stuff was pretty good. I liked, I loved Michelle Yeoh's death in this, you know, falling yeah. onto the yeah. statue. That was so cool. That's pretty cool. Showing the shadow instead of the actual act of her falling is fucking great. I actually really like the scene where he's like talking to the little girl and it's played very earnestly like yeah, he's actually straight, talking. Yeah, yeah it's playing yeah. very straight like he's talking to a little girl and then it just cuts away for a second where Tina Fey's like, who are you talking to? She's not there. Yeah. And I, I thought that was pretty effective. Like s- small touches like that does make it feel a little bit creepier, more like a scary story. But I agree with you. Overall, Jeff, I mean, it wasn't particularly like scary movie. And I, maybe yeah. that's not necessarily what it was exactly going for. And I, and I don't think it was. But yeah. I think trying to play into this, you know, the fact that it's taking place on like Halloween and that like it's in a haunted villa, like I think, you know, maybe to differentiate itself a little bit from the first two movies was to maybe, like you said, lean into those horror elements and add a little bit more character in that way. Should it yeah. have come out a month later, like around Halloween? I think it might have helped. Maybe, you know? yeah. I don't know why all these horror movies are coming out August and September. It's fucking weird probably just kind of being dumped in this slow part of the year because horror movies aren't really very like prestigious a lot of the time right yeah i think they're being dumped in a slow part of the year if i had to guess another thing i really liked about this is that it feels smaller you know the scale is so much smaller than the first two and i think it works to its benefit it just seems a little more intimate instead of like the first two seemed like kenneth rana bit off a little more than he could chew with, you know, the scale. I'll watch ten more of these if they all look like this and, you know, they're all less than a hundred minutes long. I'll watch more of these. I'll watch one more. No, <laughs> one more. Yeah, like, it's an okay time of the movies. It's not a great one. Yeah. I feel like this would do well. It just comes on and you're around at home. Like, all right, you'll put that on. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's not a rush out to see it in theaters or something like that. I will say, though, like, and I, I think I've already said it, it, for me, this was the weakest cast. And I don't know if because people were just like, this is diminishing returns. We don't want to be in this kind of movie anymore. Because like even the second one, I feel like they still had a pretty good cast. Well, they don't do recurring characters, though, do they? They don't. But it felt like no one really wanted to sign up for some of these characters. <laughs> like, as sad as that's to say, I could be wrong. Maybe these are like loved actors that I just don't really know heavily. Uh, you know, I know Kelly Riley's big from the Yellowstone. Yellowstone, and, yeah. I mean, everyone knows Tina Fey, and everyone knows Michelle Yeoh now. But even then, like, I don't know how many people really know who Jamie Dornan is, or mm-hmm. uh, the actors who play the assistants. Uh, yeah, I don't know them the actor either. who plays the maid, the actor who plays the guard. You know, I would rather have an unknown cast than like a cursed cast, like the second one. You know? That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Dude, that That's cast true. is so cursed now. That's you know. True. Russell Brand is in that movie? Yeah. God damn. Army Hammer. Letitia Wright, anti-vaxxer, you know, like, all this stuff. That movie had so much bad PR. And I don't think, like, Gal Gadot's on the same level. I don't think she's, like, a weirdo or anything. But, like, you know, she had that Imagine video, like I said. And I don't think she's a particularly great actress. So 
That's kind of you to say. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you think I'm being generous? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, is there anything else you guys wanted to bring up about this particular movie? No, I don't think so. We got it all. I would like to maybe start a new trend. I mean, we just released our episode about the writer strike and the actor strike and as much as we do or don't like this movie i think we should still give a lot of credit to the writers you know michael green and the actors that are in this i'm just happy that we are still getting movies that we can see and some of us can enjoy Uh, (laughs) but yeah Yeah. a lot of praise to the the writing and acting team yeah yeah you know we wouldn't have a podcast and we wouldn't have movies to go see if it wasn't for the writers and actors who are striking so yeah, so we're recording this on the 21st, and we are getting some rumors that they are close to making an agreement, so maybe that's coming soon. Hopefully, you know, the WGA and SAG-AFTRA get a deal that they're happy with. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that will conclude this week's episode. Jeff, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com, and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. What about you guys? I'm going to be attending a seance summoning the spirits of all the actors whose careers have bombed <laughs> during the series. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Derek? You can find me at the world's okayest photos on Instagram. But if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our show is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Google, or any of the other popular apps. If you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a great rating. It really helps to get our voices out to more people. Yeah, and if you have any questions, comments, suggestions on Kenneth Branagh's haunting in Venice, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like getting listener mail, and sometimes we read it out on the pod. And with that, we will see you guys next week. See you next week. See you guys then.